Well, hello, camera, my old friend. It's nice to talk to you again. Um, so glad to be here, and uh, welcome to the church as well. I just need to, you know, communicate with my camera once in a while. It's always good. Uh, so, uh, so glad that you're with us this morning. Um, this is a really great uh, opportunity for us to get to communicate what's been going on in our hearts as leaders for a while, what has been going on in God's heart for all of eternity. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty wild thing when God allows for his eternal purpose to spill out into our normal everyday lives. It's quite an incredible thing. So um, I just want to say that this is not going to be a normal sermon. Uh, if you're like, oh, I wish that he would have like exegeted that perfectly and would have talked about what Bithynia really means or what is Mysia, where is that? Like, I'm sorry, I don't have those maps for you. I'll do my best to like point maybe, but that's as much as you're going to get this morning. So this just won't be a normal sermon. But at the end, we're going to have Q&A. Please, um, we want for the questions to come in on church21.online.church. And you're like, yeah, but it doesn't work on my whatever. Um, that's Okay. You can still go on there. You don't have to have the streaming function actually working. You can put your questions on there. But I know most of you won't obey this, but some of you will. So listen, uh, hold your questions, right? Like write it in crayon if your kids are there. Don't write it in blood. You can find something else to write it with probably. But like write them down. And then when we say, okay, go with your questions, we can unleash the hounds at that point, okay? So um, Really excited for this. Next week, we're going to start a new series on the gifts of the Spirit, looking at 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. That'll be a six-week thing. After that, we'll jump into the book of Acts, and I think you'll understand why as we're uh, moving this morning. So I'm going to pray again, and then it'll be go time. Lord, thank you that you are here with us. You're in this um, little room in downtown, but you're also uh, in living rooms, in kitchens, in bathrooms, in bedrooms. Um, outside, wherever it is that we are engaging with this material, you are there, you are present. Lord, I don't want for uh, people to think that this message is for someone else. This is really for every single one of us who are part of Church 21, and maybe even beyond that. So, um, so we thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you give vision. You don't leave us in the dark, but through Jesus, we know that even, even if we get some of this stuff wrong, we know that in Jesus, we have all the vision that we need. Uh, we have the one who has gone before us, who has died in our place and is alive and is coming back. And so we thank you that you are uh, in our midst. We need you. Amen. Technologically, everything is working. Boom. So good. Love it. All right. So Moneyball, one of my favorite movies. Uh, Brad Pitt. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Anyway, it just came to mind. Moneyball is a, is a movie all about a new strategy in baseball. Baseball is like with that little ball with stitches in it and a bat, for those of you that don't know that. So uh, I enjoy that, that sport. But Moneyball is all about thinking about baseball in a whole new way. So traditionally, baseball has looked for the big sluggers, the people that could hit home runs, who could uh, make incredible plays, who could do things basically 30% of the time offensively or 95% of the time defensively. And if you're doing that, you're going to make it into the Hall of Fame. They've always looked for Hall of Famers. But Moneyball is like, no, 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 you've been looking at baseball all wrong. Baseball is all about who can get on base and who can score runs. And it doesn't matter if you're getting hit with the ball. It doesn't matter if you're short enough so your strike zone's small enough so you're getting on base. We just want you to get on base and score. It was a radical new strategy about 15 years ago in baseball. Uh, so Moneyball is a great, um, this is a story of that. 
And it focuses in on Billy Bean, the manager of the Oakland Athletics. So true story. And he says this quote in the movie. I don't know if he said it in real life, but let's pretend he did. In the movie, he did, so it must be true. He said, it's adapt or die. It's adapt or die. Looking at his small money team, it's adapt or die. If we can't change the way we're doing baseball, we're not going to be able to compete with the larger clubs. Really, this idea came, I'm giving you way more information about baseball than you want, but like I'm kind of geeking out in this moment right now because I feel like you actually want it because I'm talking to a camera, and the camera told me it did, so I'm going to keep going. Um, so Bill James was a statistician guy, and he figured out this whole way that Moneyball could actually work. And what Bill James came to understand is that each player is important. It's not about your big name. It's about every single player playing his part. Every player being important. Not about the money, but what each player brings. So I'm just going to set Moneyball aside for a second. I'll bring it back in a little while. I told you this isn't a normal sermon. Um, Ten years ago, in 2011, we started what was Initiative 22 and morphed into Church 21. Don't ask about the numbers. It's not worth talking about at this point. But we did. Um, And so 2011, we started with four values. The first was the gospel. And gospel isn't gospel music or whatever you think necessarily, but the gospel is about the good news of who Jesus is and what he did specifically on the cross and in the resurrection and that he is coming back again and how that good news was an intrusion into the constant everyday bad news that we were living. There was finally good and eternal news that was offered out. So that's our first value. The second value was community. Third value was mission, not our mission and what we thought would be a good idea to do that day, but the mission of God. And then the fourth thing, which is kind of unnamed, but was really important to us, was being local. So uh, my wife and I and Nehemiah at that point, we moved uh, into St. Henry and uh, the Stegner family. They were living in Point St. Charles. And we just kind of determined, because we didn't plan to be there, that that's where we were supposed to start the church. And so we started meeting with people that lived in that area. And I remember when the first person from the South Shore showed up. And they're like, we want to be part of your thing. I'm like, well, you can't be part of our thing. He's like, well, why can't I be part of your thing? I'm like, because you live on the South Shore. And like that was such a radical idea to me that someone would come from the South Shore to St. Henry to participate in my neighborhood on mission. Local was so radically important. And as we grew as a church... We mostly grew from people downtown. We had a ton of students and people living in the Sudwest. So the, yes, the Southwest part of Montreal. Montreal is, you're going to know what that is. But basically, Point St. Charles, St. Henry, Little Burgundy, lots of people from there. And we had local care and local mission moving through city groups. And the people that were living on the South Shore were coming to participate with us in the city because I'm like, we're not going to start something on the South Shore until we have enough people on the South Shore. Local was really, really important. But slowly over time, we became this regional church that met downtown with local city groups. I would say maybe, I'm just pulling out statistics, but like 15 to 20% of our church lived downtown, uh, and the rest were scattered in different places around the city. We were becoming a regional church, we became one. But we had these city groups, and these city groups were really where we could be a family of servants on mission. Like, we were living out our values, our DNA, our goals. This is where we were cranking it out of the park. Baseball analogy again. There you go. Um, But what was so hard about this is that 
after, after a few years, my wife and I moved out to the West Island to help start something else. What was so hard was trying to convince people living in the West Island that downtown wasn't that far, especially on a Sunday morning until they, they closed the 40 and the 15. Then it's like, you know, you needed a portal to get downtown because there's an impossible way to do it any other way. But it was so hard. I think a few of our neighbors came. I know a few of our neighbors came a few times. But it was like, ah, oh, downtown's so far, Sunday, I'm like early. I'm like, 10, it's not that early. But it's like, it's early. You know, all these things. They said, oh, it'd be so great if you had something in our neighborhood. Non-Christians saying it'd be something, it'd be so great if you had something in our neighborhood that we could be a part of. Now, I don't want to say that the regional church is bad. It's not bad, it's good. But sometimes good is the enemy of the best, isn't it? It's really hard for us to convince people to leave their neighborhood to go to church. Now, we know we don't go to church. We are the church. We get all that. But it's really hard to tell people to come to this service when it seems so far away. Well, since that time, since we started, we've successfully, whatever that means, uh, they're still going, right? So success. Um, we've planted a few churches. We've helped revitalize some. We've started a training center where we're training um, vocational ministry leaders and church planners and future pastors. It feels like we kind of found our groove. Like, all right, we know what we're doing. Like, we're, we're comfy a bit. So 300-ish people, don't know how many city groups, not even going to pretend to know, seeing people meet Jesus, baptism parties are amazing, people are meeting Jesus, discipling people, new church planners. Man, it's just like, kick your shoes off. We're, we're just going to keep cruising. It wasn't, it was pretty nice. Um, we were in the process to plant two new churches in the next one to two years. A little fast, but that's what we wanted to do. And we wanted to really get this rhythm where every four to five years, we were planting a new church. That seemed reasonable to us. Now, please don't hear an obsession with church planning. I want to, like, overemphasize this. I'm the director of a church planning network called Acts 29. My whole job, half the time, is church planning. So if I talk about church planning, I'm so sorry. It's really hard for me to separate the two at times, but this is, this is my life. But here's what church planning is. Church planning is making disciples locally with called and qualified leaders who decide they're going to gather together in that place. So church planning is a result of discipleship. And we as a church, we really want to be a church that forges followers of Jesus all over Montreal. Hear that again. We want to be a church that forges followers of Jesus all over Montreal. That's our heart. And then COVID happens. Amazing. COVID happened. A few things changed. And since that time, we've really been searching for what God wants for us. I just need to take a time out real quick. Can someone go downstairs and turn off the heat? Because that's just going to keep getting hotter and hotter and hotter. It's like mutant heat in here. It's like Dwight started around 156 and ended at like 140. I'm talking pounds now, not kilograms. <laughs> Camera makes me look thin. <laughs> um, but we've been searching for what God wants. And here's some very clear aspects that we know that God wants for us. Number one, that we are the church. People are the church. We're not limited to space or place. That we are the church. Secondly, we know that this hasn't changed. That Jesus rescued us by his good work on the cross and in his resurrection so that we could be doing good works. We know that. That's true. Third, nothing, not even the gates of hell, are going to stop the church from being the church and moving forward. Jesus said that. COVID's not going to stop the church. 
you're not going to stop the church. Your apathy or self-centeredness is not going to stop the church from moving forward. You know why I know that's true? Because I struggle with that. And the church just keeps moving forward. So that's good. You can't mess this up. You and I are like Peter, cutting off people's ears all the time. The Lord's like, I'll make that beautiful. Like, he had a weird ear anyway, so I'll make it better. Some of you miss that reference. It's a biblical reference that I don't have time to explain now. Um, the church, if you were to read the history of the church, the church has always had to adapt according to its time. Always. Always. If we grew to be a church of 40,000 people, okay, 40,000 people, and we carry with us the theology that the church always has to gather all together, same place, all the time. Tell me where in Montreal we're going to gather. What's that? Nope, can't do it. I knew that. Can't do it with 40,000. Too small, okay? Have to build a bigger bell center. They'll have to build a, a baseball stadium. Yeah, I'm, I'm refusing to hear Olympic Stadium. That does not, that's, that's East Montreal. That's East Montreal. I'm just going to keep looking forward at my friend's camera. So here's some less clear, I, I was wrong. Some less clear aspects, questions that we're asking. It's not funny anymore. No more laughing. Some, I'm just joking too. Some less clear aspects is when will the pandemic end? When's it going to end? When's it going to be done? Is vaccinations actually going to do it? Is that what's going to, is like social distancing going to end this thing? Matt, like, when is this thing going to be over? And what will the church look like post-pandemic? When this thing is done, what's the church going to look like? I can tell you, I think we have 80 to 90 people that moved out of the city who are part of Church 21 during COVID. 80 to 90 people. No big deal. So the church is going to look a little bit different. There have also been people who have become new followers of Jesus who have never gathered with us yet. So the church would look different. And then the, the last question I want to ask before we get into this is, what does God want for us specifically? What does God want for Church 21? What does he want for you? What does he want for you specifically as we're working together? Um, I'll say this. It seems like a Captain Obvious moment, but our current moment doesn't allow us to do things the way that we always have. We have to adapt. We have to change. But we have been praying as, as church leaders. Hopefully you've been praying as well. But we've been praying as church leaders about an opportunity in front of us. That we really think that God is putting something uh, very similar yet new in front of us. That, that we haven't um, put our whole church around before. In fact, before our most recent lockdown, we were experiencing many aspects of the vision that I'm going to share with you this morning. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to share won't be new to you. Because you've actually experienced it. It's not just theory or something you have to intellectually comprehend, but it is experience. So I'm communicating not just Dwight's ideas this morning. I'm communicating on behalf of all of our leaders, where we've shared this with all of our leaders over the course of the past four or five months, and gotten all of our leaders to be like, yes, that's what we need to be about. So I'm speaking for about 50 to 60 people at this point this morning. And this really involves you. You have to hear this. This vision involves you. That you are doing the work of the ministry. Whether you're a little kid, you know, my kids, kids at home, hopefully you're watching. Um, you are doing the work of the ministry, right? Two of my kids were sharing Jesus with one of our neighbors a few weeks ago. It's like, you're doing the work of ministry. 
This is what we're supposed to be about. Not Dwight doing it for you, not Brian or Jordan or Lorianne or Sandra or Jess or Severina or someone like that doing it. No, no, no. You are doing the work of the ministry. We're called to equip you, to help you be able to do that. And we're doing the ministry as well. And this is where Moneyball comes back in. Remember, they weren't looking for the, the, big, the big player that could um, hit a lot of home runs. They're looking for many people who can get on base. They're looking for pitchers who can just throw strikes. Everyone is really important. That we as a church, we're going to look at this in the upcoming series, that we bring all of our gifts and abilities together. That we are the priesthood, the Bible calls us, the priesthood of believers that we come together and we represent God to a world that doesn't believe in him nor even want him. And God says, this is my plan for how to change the world through my son and through my people, my priests spread out. That's how the work gets done. So to help us understand where we're going, I want to look at Acts 16, 6 through 10, which Lorianne read for us uh, earlier. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts 16, 6 to 10. Um, you can go to uh, Bible Gateway, Bible Hub. If, if you're watching this, you really have no excuse for not to be reading the Bible because you can get it electronically. So um, Acts 16, 6 to 10, I'd encourage you to actually turn there. Uh, it's already been read for us, so I'm just going to read this verse by verse. All right, so verse 6, it says, They, Paul and his team, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. Forbidden to speak the word. Forbidden to speak the word. It sounds like persecution, doesn't it? If someone tells you you are forbidden to speak the word of Jesus, the words of the Bible, here, that sounds a lot like persecution. So who was it that forbade them from speaking? The Holy Spirit. Now this is kind of like mind-boggling. Because why would the Holy Spirit stop something that he commanded in other places in the Bible. It's like we believe in one God that exists as three persons, yet one God. Don't have time to go into all that right now, but believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What Luke, the author of Acts, is telling us is that God the Holy Spirit spoke and said, nope, you're not allowed to speak the word. And it's like, did the Trinity not get together and have counsel on this? Right? Did the Holy Spirit not know that Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world? And teach people everything I taught you, which includes speaking. Did the Holy, was the Holy Spirit like out on a break at that point? Like, I don't know, right? Why would he forbid something that Jesus commanded? Well, I'm not sure. I know that my previous question isn't true. They always work perfectly together. We're not sure why the Holy Spirit forbade it completely. But we know that he did. And I would say this, that if something good isn't happening, it's because there's a best that's waiting. Right? That sounds very much like chicken soup for your soul or something. Like you put that on a coffee mug. But that's, like, this is where it gets really hard. If something good isn't happening, it's because there's a best that hasn't yet taken place. I don't know if you know the story of Joseph, but it's a story in the Old Testament. Joseph was a mastermind administrator. Like he was second in command, became second in command of the whole world. But do you know where he sp spent a lot of his time? In prison. In jail. It's like, God, didn't you think that through? Like, why wouldn't you just shoot him straight up in a second in command? Why wouldn't you make the best happen now? Why did you make a bad thing happen? And we get to see the story of Joseph that God allowed for him 
to minister and care for people and be set up so that when a great famine actually took place, he was ready to step in by interpreting a dream that the Pharaoh, the king of the world, had. And through interpreting this dream, God ministered to the entire world through Joseph. A lot of good didn't happen to Joseph, but the best happened through Joseph. Then we get to uh, verse 7 of Acts 16. It says, Now when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now this is getting frustrating, isn't it? Forbidden to speak and now forbidden to go into a place. Is this more persecution? When we're forbidden to go into a place, is that automatic persecution? Well, not if the Spirit of Jesus is doing it. Jesus isn't persecuting his own church. And Jesus is not allowing for them to go into this new place. Why all the restrictions? Well, it seems clear as we get into the rest of this text is that they were being prepared for something different. No, 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 I don't want you to go there. I'm going to forbid you to do that. Even a good thing, because I have something better and best, actually. Now, being forbidden in one thing doesn't mean that we're forbidden in another. In verse 8, we read this. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And we know that when they went down to Troas, they were sharing the gospel there. So even though they couldn't speak or go into a different region, when they got to Troas, they began sharing the gospel and ministering in that place. You see, some of us, we receive a limitation that's put on us and we just stop. Well, I guess we'll just wait. I guess we'll stop our lives, just hit pause, have this parenthetical like, what did you do in 2020, 2021? It's like, well, watch most of Disney+, Plus, watch most of Netflix, kids' version and adult version. Some of those you shouldn't watch, by the way. And Amazon Prime, I got hooked up because I heard there's good stuff there. And we just subscribed to Hulu because 2021 doesn't look like it's much better. Right? It's like, wow, that's a great parentheses of, of your time. <clears throat> but we receive a limitation and we just stop and we're like paralyzed. We don't know what to do. And we can miss out on the opportunity because we see this wall of challenge as um, something that we can't go around or get over, right? And we just stop. And we're like, well, we wanted to gather. We wanted to be the church, but I don't think Jesus really thought this one through. Didn't he know that COVID was going to come? I thought he knew everything. We get locked in that place of like, well, if we can't gather, we can't be the church. I think we're missing a different opportunity if that's the way that we're thinking. Being forbidden to gather with everyone has been really hard to receive, hasn't it? Man, I've missed being with people. I've missed seeing people. I've, I've missed hugging people, right? Confession. I've, I've missed being close to people. I've missed ministering to people. I've missed, so, some of you have gone through really, really hard things and we've done Zoom counseling and it should have been us weeping together at my kitchen table, right? Some of you have gone through incredible things and we should have been partying. But instead, it feels like everything is on pause. But being, being forbidden to gather doesn't mean that we can't keep making disciples. Do, do you get that? Do you get that our gathering is important, okay? Gathering is important. We need community. We need preaching. We need sacraments. We need hugs. We need singing. All those things are really important. But that's not everything. That's not everything. If you go to jail, we aren't going to be like, well, they used to be part of our church, but now they're in jail and they can't be with us on Sundays, so... So sorry. You get sick in the hospital. It's like, ah, you were part of our church, but now you're in the hospital for a long period of time, so we can't really consider you part of our church. Like, that's just stupid, right? We would never say that. Dumb. 
Our gathering is only part of our discipleship, but it isn't everything. And we can obsess over this and use all our energy on this and put, like, make this big push. And there is a push, and I don't want to really talk about this push, but there is a push that we need to get back to gathering, and the government is persecuting us. And I'm not going to really comment on that. Uh, I interviewed Andrew Fulford for a great podcast that will come out in a few weeks that answers all of these questions. Oh, so good. Uh, I just listened to him, and at one point he was done, and I wasn't saying anything back. I'm like, no, no, like, keep going. Like, I'm just, I'm enjoying listening to you. wasn't being a good host. But, but the idea is that we, if we're obsessing about gathering, and we're obsessing about doing something that, that's all for us, and we're obsessing about we can't really be the church until we can be together in one place, and we might be missing an opportunity that God has said, but I have something that's best for you in this moment. And I get it, like forever Zoom is probably not the way to do church or live stream. Like I get it. We even have a little gathering here today, right? That we're trying to allow for, to do things within the limits of what we're allowed to do. But if we obsess over and over and over about gathering and pushing on the government and doing all these things, which aren't bad necessarily, but we miss out on what Jesus might have for us in this moment. And I want to say this really carefully that this could even be a distraction tactic of the enemy to get us off from making disciples. Because we're, we're wondering when we can be back in our building for an hour and a half on Sunday, and we put all our time and energy into that, and we spend all of our energy writing to MPs and doing all this good stuff. But there's, there's opportunities to make disciples next to you, under you. Like, if you're living in apartments, right? Don't step on people. I'm here to make a disciple of you, Right? There's so many opportunities all around us all the time. You see, I think that we can disagree with some of the limits. We can disagree with some of the limits that have been put onto the church and still be the church under government leadership. We can disagree. There's a tension, isn't there? We can disagree and still be the church. And I'll say this, because some people are speaking ridiculous things to you, that if you are not gathering as the church, for reasons that are godly, you are not a coward. You are not a coward. One day, persecution might come to Canada in full form. Probably one day it will. I don't know how far in the future. And at that point, like, we'll have different questions to work through. But right now, we have a whole different set. And I just want to say, you are not a coward. You are not anti-biblical. You, uh, you need to reject some of the shame that people are putting onto you in these moments. Well, if you were really a church, you'd be gathering. It's like if you were really the church, you'd be making disciples. You don't want to have to argue that out, but that's, that's true. Jesus didn't leave and say, go into all the world and make sure that you're gathering. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And by the way, some of you are going to die to make this happen. You see, God could bring a whole new thing by forbidding something else. God could be doing a whole new thing by forbidding something else. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea um, that, that I'm against these people who are pushing for something. I think that you can, we can disagree in conscience about what we're supposed to be doing, but we really need to be united around King Jesus. And any argument around a secondary thing that's dividing his church in Canada right now uh, really needs to be identified for what it is. And that's, that's not the will of the Spirit of God for his church. You see, I think that God could even use a day of closed doors. He could use a day of closed doors to give a vision of a new work. And that's what he does with Paul. Look at this. 
in verse uh, 9. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. This call for help is a call for salvation, like good news. We need to be rescued. Now, this vision, I want you to know, is not a new theology. Come and tell us about the fourth person, the, the non-trinity, the quatrinity. I don't know what you say at that point. It's not, it's not new theology. This vision was about mission. It was about movement of what was actually um, important to get out. It was a new missional strategy. And the reality is, is that God still gives visions and dreams. I, I want to tell you, uh, I think it was eight years ago, uh, I remember going to Toronto. I told my wife and I told Brian Stegner, I think I need to go to Toronto because there's this guy that's going to be there and I'd had some conversations with him and it was around like the Holy Spirit and I, I just had a weird understanding of who the Holy Spirit was at that time. And so I went to Toronto and I was severely disappointed Right? It just felt very normal. I was hanging out with this guy who's a teacher and this uh, group of church leaders. And they, were, they weren't doing anything like radical or new. And I'm like, why did I waste money coming to Toronto? Like that was a sacrifice at that time of our church. And, um, and so I'm there with this, during this little worship session just before the thing is all done. And I'm like, all right, this thing needs to get over quick so I can go get my train and go, go home. And, um, and I was standing there and all of a sudden I saw a vision. Never seen a vision before, never seen a vision since, like real vision. And I was standing there, and I, I had my eyes closed, and we were, we were singing, and it was like, it felt like I was transported into a different place. It was very, very strange. I did not eat anything bad. I did not drink too much. I was so, like, everything was fine. And, um, and I was transmitted into this different place, and I saw this throne, and immediately I knew what the throne was. I'm like, that's God's throne. It was bright and shining, and I saw that God was seated, but I couldn't see God because of this glorious light, and I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. I'm like, this is why I came to Toronto, you know, to see this vision. Oh, amazing. I had to come here. Lord, apparently you can't do this in Montreal, but that's fine. I'm so glad <laughs> that I took the Via Rail. You know, it's so good, and the Via Rail got stuck. The first time I ever took a train, it took like 11 hours to get to Toronto, because, like, the, the driver was drunk or something. Like, I don't know. They had to come take him off the train and bring a new guy. I'm like, I'll drive the train. <laughs> anyway, so I, I'm there, and I'm seeing the throne. I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm, like, worshiping. Like, how great is our God? I don't know. And, um, and then all of a sudden, like, the scene moved away. And it was this big river. And it was rushing, but it wasn't a, a river that was, like, going to kill people. And it was, so it was, like, intimidating yet inviting. That's usually a bad recipe intimidating yet inviting. And so, and it was flowing away from the throne of God. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to leave that. And, but it was going away. And then I recognized that this is a St. Lawrence River. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And so the St. Lawrence River, and then it was moving into Montreal. And I saw that and I'm like, oh, what, what is this all about? And then the sky got really, really bright, like blinding bright because God's glory from his throne was now being shown over Montreal. And in that moment where I was enjoying the glory of God, I thought about the people in Montreal, and I'm like, no, they can't look up, because if they look up, they're going to be destroyed. Like God's glory and holiness is going to destroy them. And so I'm like pleading in this moment, you know, this vision, like, don't let people look up, and I see them looking up. And it's like one of those apocalyptic movies, like a Left Behind thing or something, you know. And it's like, this is going to be the end. They look up, and then they start smiling. And they saw the glory of God, and they wanted it. And then, like, the vision was done. 
And I'm like, oh, I'm going back from Toronto and God is going to bring this like crazy revival and things are gonna, and I came back and it's like, same old, same old, right? But I remembered that vision. And that vision has become very important to us as a church right now uh, because God has been giving visions to people. It, It feels a bit overwhelming, actually. God still gives visions around his mission and what he wants to do. And God was giving clarity to Paul for, for his mission. And I don't know what that vision for me was other than, Lord, would you please make that happen? Would you let your holiness and glory be seen in such a way that it's inviting to people here and do not destroy them? And then he ends this passage with this in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The team immediately set out for a new place. They abandoned all the previous plans that they had. They're like, hey, I take that papyrus roll and like throw it out. Like we need to be moving to where God's vision is leading us. And when God gives a clear indication where, we're to, where we are to go, what else are we gonna do? When God tells us, I want you to go here, it's like, ha, ah. you read the story of Jonah probably, right? It's like a bad idea to be like, no, 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 I'm gonna go to not Nineveh. <laughs> I'm gonna go to that place instead, right? What else are you gonna do? God is saying, I've created you, made you, brought you to this place so that you can go in and do this thing. So they went on their way, Paul and his team. You, you feel like, oh, if I could just find out the will of God for my life, then everything would be easy, but it's not because this was the will of God for these men and presumably women that were there as well. And they started moving toward Macedonia. And do you know what happens? Paul and Silas end up in jail right? That's kind of difficult. Like, I don't want to go to a place necessarily that I'm ending up in jail. But what happens is this vision left to gospel global movement that we're benefiting from. We're benefiting today from this vision that Paul received to go into Macedonia. Because the first stop was Philippi. And Paul planted a church with, as far as we know, three different groups of people. One is Lydia. She was like leading a women's Old Testament Bible study thing. She meets Jesus and she's loaded and has a big house and they can hold the church in that place. Then Paul has this demon girl that's following him around all the time, being, saying things. And he just gets so annoyed. Finally, after days, he becomes annoyed and he speaks to the demon to get out of this girl. And then this girl becomes a follower of Jesus. That's how they end up in jail. Then they're in jail. A big earthquake comes and the jailer is about to take his life. And Paul says, hey, don't do that. We're all here. We're not leaving. And the jailer and his whole family are baptized that night. And then they go back in and play like nothing happened. Um, the, The church gets planted in Philippi through these unlikely people. And Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, and says in that letter, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? God's path forward for me, I don't care what's there. As long as Christ is there, I'm there. And if it's it's prosperity, if it's poverty, if it's life, if it's death, I'm there. That's where I want to be. Then Paul goes on to Athens, and that's his worst missionary journey. We raise up Athens and Marcel is like, oh, that's where Paul really like went into cultural apologetics and he did masterfully. But there weren't a lot of disciples that were made. And he moves on from Athens and goes to Corinth. And things get really hard in Corinth, like really, really hard. And Paul's like, forget this, I'm out of here. I'm no longer dealing with this. And do you know what God does? He comes to him in another vision. When Paul's ready to bail out, it says in Acts 18, 9 and 10, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. 
Keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. God forbade something so that gospel explosion could happen in a brand new way. You get that. God forbids certain things so that gospel explosion can happen in a brand new way. So in September, transitioning hard, in September, it seems like God gave us a vision. It seems like God gave us a vision through a dream that, that Trent Walker um, had. Now, I just, I'm going to invite him up here in just a second. Let me preface this by this. Um, if you're like, oh, we're going to start sharing dreams now, we're going to start sharing visions, and you're like, I'm getting sketched out, I'm ready to turn this off, like, I'm with you, okay? I just want to be like, you're not alone. When Trenton shared this with me, I'm like, huh, we'll see. You know, I'm like, I'm not putting much into this because God normally speaks through his word, through prayer, and through his people. And so we'll see if this was actually something that was going on. But I just want to preface it by saying, like, we've been praying about this. We've been testing this for months and months and months. We presented this to people that uh, I don't even think theologically agree that God speaks through visions and dreams. And they were very, um, very encouraging about this. And so uh, I'm going to invite him now. Trenton uh, leads or helps lead uh, our current location on the South Shore. And so uh, I'll invite you to come up and share that now. Hello, Church 21. Thank you, Dwight. Uh, so I'll just get straight into the dream that I, I woke up on uh, September 20th, having dreamt this the night before. And uh, around 3 a.m., I, I woke up in the night to write out the dream and then fell back asleep peacefully. Uh, but the, the dream was in three different phases or three chapters. I, I'm just saying that so that you can follow me with a separation of uh, the things I'll be sharing. So the first part, uh, scene, chapter, whatever, <laughs> is uh, Dwight is the focus of the dream, and he is diligently working uh, to gather up olive oil. And what he's finding is that everywhere he goes to, to look for more olive oil to gather up, uh, there, there isn't any available, and the vendors don't have any olive oil in, in the city of Montreal. Uh, and so what he perceives is there's a delay and a difficulty in gathering up olive oil. And then it shifts to part two, where I, I'm seeing an aerial view of the South Shore, uh, and I see the train coming from the east uh, to the west that would go over Victoria Bridge. Uh, and it's really just, just about there. It it's, hasn't quite passed, uh, what highway is that? Um, like the 132. So this train is co coming towards Montreal, and I don't see like anything other than this big, long train coming towards Montreal, but I know just in some weird sense of knowing that the train is completely full of olive oil. Uh, and the thing about the train is that it's not in any station, it's on the tracks, it's moving towards Montreal, but it is like moving at a rate that's like, you can't perceive it actually moving. It would be like looking at uh, the hour hand of a clock. You know that, that if you stare at it long enough, it's gonna move, but in you know, the couple seconds you stare at it, it's not moving really. In, your perception. So there's just a, a continued like idea of that just delay, something's slowing that train from moving towards Montreal. And then part three, uh, I'm in a new scene, a new, a new focus, and it's I'm either seeing through Dwight's eyes or I'm standing beside him and, and I'm, I'm just seeing what he's seeing. And our, basically, there's Dwight is surrounded by several people who have come to him knowing that he's trying to gather up olive oil 
and they've brought what they have uh, at hand. And so there's several people in a semicircle around Dwight uh, holding jars, vases, and bottle, uh, bottles, all filled with different levels of uh, olive oil. All of the, the jars, vases, and bo bottles are different sizes. Uh, and they have brought the small amounts that they had on hand, and there is plenty. The, the idea that there was plenty was so clear uh, when I was seeing this. And then there's like this closing word, this ending word from God. As I'm like waking up, sitting up out of my bed to start writing this down, I hear, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And so for me, that was a little bit out of the ordinary to have a dream like this. So I wrote it down. I, I wanted to present it to the elders of Church 21. Uh, and I also wanted to seek an interpretation. Uh, so we, we sought out two interpretations from people who have been um, identified as having a gifting in that area who are not from uh, the Church 21 community but are, are trusted. And uh, both of them, are, like, were, there were two different meetings. So both of them separately told me that the olive oil in the dream represents uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, healing, anointing, and blessing of the Holy Spirit, uh, and specifically in line with what with Dwight trying to gather that up, it would be the, the just an anointing of, and a blessing of the Holy Spirit over Church 21 and the ministry going on through the church. Uh, and so there were just a, uh, a lot of references to the, the biblical references of olive oil, but the, the main points are that it's representing God's glory, it's representing healing, it's representing anointing of the Holy Spirit and blessing. And uh, then the idea of the train. Excuse me. The idea of the train moving towards Montreal, uh, they, they both identified that as the movement of God. And with the, the, the train itself being full of olive oil, there's a movement of God coming to Montreal with a new anointing of the Holy Spirit in a massive amount, something that we might have never seen before or Montreal has never seen before. Uh, and then in that last scene, when there's the people that surround Dwight, uh, it was a, an acknowledgement that there is already an anointing in the church and there is work to be done now while we're, await while we're waiting for that greater arrival of anointing, that train full of olive oil. Uh, and the, the interpreters both said this is a prophetic dream and this is a, uh, a kind of a, a game plan for Church 21. Uh, and, and then just a reminder to, to continue to pray against uh, that delay and difficulty, um, praying things like, uh, your kingdom we come, your will be done, is, and doing the work that God has for us to do now are, are some of the action points. But then they wanted, uh, when I shared that, that word, uh, like who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? It's obviously from Psalms 50:10, which is, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And uh, they identified this as saying that even what we can perceive from this dream or our hopes for Montreal is just a, a glimpse, uh, a glimmer, or a wink, uh, because God has something very large planned. Uh, and then one of the interpreters gave an encouragement to not be discouraged if we see the exact opposite of what we're hoping for uh, in the, you know, in the meantime. Uh, much like when Joseph had a dream, there was a there was kind of a delay before seeing that actually happen in his life. Uh, and so, those uh, those are just <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I came to the end, and now I'm done. <laughs> so I'm going to give it back to Dwight. Oh, yeah, I remember what I wanted to say. Because we had, I had the dream. I didn't have interpretation. We sought out interpretation, so we have an idea of what the dream means. But then what do you do with the dream? And that was, I think, what God really laid on Dwight's heart. Thank you so much. Um, so 
I just want to highlight, um, I didn't say this before Trenton shared, but people were praying for this very thing to happen. So people were praying before this that God would give a sign of revival. And, uh, and so that's been verified. So after the dream, here's what happened. I called staff together. I called some leaders together. And just before we went into red zone, I pulled the chalet trip. Like half of us had to leave at a certain time so we weren't overdoing our um, restrictions or whatever. Um, but we processed the vision that Trenton had. And then we processed like the past and things that God had been saying and showing along the way and strategies about what we might want to do into the future. So we weren't just saying, oh, there it is. Like God gave us a dream. Therefore, we're going to like copy and paste that into exactly what we're going to do. It wasn't it. Uh, but we prayed for more people to receive confirmation of that. And that very night, uh, someone that's connected to Jeff uh, right in the West Island had a dream that he was anointed with oil that night. And it's just like, oh, okay. Like another, just another thing, another thing that I have to like actually work through. Like, do I believe that this is how you speak to us, God? But confirmation after confirmation after confirmation has come in from people who have no idea what we're doing. Speaking about this dream, not being like someone named with the initials TW had a dream about, like not that level, but like too freaky, not like horoscope general. But like, I know you, creepy, kind of like, I know what's going on. And a lot of it has come from many of you without even knowing it. So with 2021, let me just speak for 2021. Here's what we're doing as a church with our restrictions, with our opportunities, with that dream, with the strategies, with many people coming together. I speak not just for me, but for many of us. Uh, the first thing is that we're not going to go back to the Scotiabank Theater as the English church in 2021. It's just not going to happen. There's too much uh, influx. There's, there's, we don't even see that as a great strategy necessarily moving forward. And I know that some of you are going to hear that and be like, oh, man, what is the church going to be if we don't have that? And that's, there's a sadness that goes along with this because that's familiar. And it's like we were going back to that place that, that we had been a part of for so long. Right? So there is a sadness for some of you. Some of you are like, hallelujah. Like, I do not want to go back to that theater again. Um, but this is a reality. Um, some of you are sad, though, because you're sad to not be seeing people. You're going to be sad because you don't have an opportunity to see the largeness of what God is doing uh, through Church 21. Uh, but rather, we're going to be uh, limited in the people that we can gather with. So, number one, we're not going back to the theater this year. Secondly, we're going to meet in five different locations at this point. And I say at this point because some of those locations might change. Uh, we might have four locations at some point this year. We might decide to do two and one. But at this point, we're going to do five different locations. The places are already secured. Rent is already there. Uh, and I just want to say this, to rent five different places is the same as to rent the theater. Just throwing that out there. So um, one of the things that we've seen as we've been meeting in locations is that you've actually said over and over and over that we love the smaller, and we love how much participation we're able to have in the gathering. That you've told me that I feel like I'm really known. In the theater, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that person's been here before. Uh, you've probably been greeted by someone that's new on the greeting team, and you've been a part of the church since the, the beginning. And you come in, and they're like, is this your first week here? You know, like, big smile, like, I'm doing my job. And you're like, no, this is my, I was on the core team. Like, where were you? You weren't even born yet. 
you know? And, like, we had one lady got really upset one time. They're not part of church anymore. Not because of that, but uh, anyway, I'm like, chill, chill. It's okay. They're new. Um, but we, we have the opportunity to participate more, to be smaller. These are going to be led by either two pastors or two pastor and apprentices. So we want two leaders to be there. Um, and most of these are going to be unpaid positions. So they're going to be like bivocationally doing this. And really these local leaders are going to oversee the care, the feeding, the leading, and protecting of the people that are part of that church. Those, those two are going to be overseeing the lead team as well. So there's going to be not just these two people, but we're looking to have a team of like 10 to 15 people that are helping to lead each location. Remember, it's about Moneyball. It's not about one person doing it all. It's about many people bringing their little pieces together. We're going to continue with city groups, so it's going to get really, really local. Uh, and we're going to encourage that geography be the main indicator of which location you're a part of, but it doesn't have to be the indicator. You might be being discipled by someone in, um, in the West Island, and you live in, in NDG. Well, West Island might be the best place for you to connect. I don't know, right? This isn't like a... Um, a hard and fast rule that, oh, well, you're in this district, therefore you need to go to this school, right? It's like, no, no, no. We're very chill about this mostly. Um, and we're going to allow for the church to be local and provide local serving and mission opportunities. We want for people to be able to, to say, it's amazing that I get to walk to participate with the church. I get it, South Shore, West Island. You'll never be there. You're really missing out. You should have moved back downtown, but you're, you're gone, so we're going to get behind your... I'm just joking. Uh, I, he, I feel the pressure from this side of the room. This is like the South Shore side of the room. Just letting you know, right? There's, there's a wall of division that's coming up. Uh, the third thing, so not going back to the theater, meeting in five different locations. And third, and this is what I'm most excited about, is that we're still going to be one church. We're still going to be one church. One leadership, one budget, one vision, one structure, one value system, one training uh, opportunities, uh, we're going to gather together as one church regularly. Th so think every six to eight weeks, we won't meet in our locations when this is legal. And we'll rent a bigger place and we will go and we'll party there. Think about like if you ever went to one of our Saturday night baptisms, like one of the earlier on ones where we were maxing out fire capacity, like numbers. And like those were so exciting. And we were coming together and it's like, this is what God is doing. So imagine that every six to eight weeks we get to come together and it's like, what is God doing in the West Island? And people stand up and it's like, these two new people are brand new followers of Jesus since we met last time. And we get to raise an imaginary cup or maybe a real cup, I don't know. And we get to toast that. And then we're going to baptize them. And then we get to see new people who are growing up into leadership and we get to uh, anoint them and we get to send them out into leadership. And maybe we have new church planners and we get to, at these parties, we get to anoint them and we get to pray over their core team and we send them out so that the gospel can go into a new location in Montreal. This is exciting. I feel like this front thing flapping. So uh, like, I know I'm excited. I can't, I can't keep it back. It's too long. I can't afford a haircut. All right. But as one church, we're also going to share a regional apostolic team. I'll talk about that more in a few weeks. Um, but for example, I'm going to be part of the downtown leadership and helping all of the churches, all of our different locations, congregations, to actually um, lay their foundations in that place. So this is going to be a team to oversee the shared vision and equipping and preaching and ministries, communication expansion. This is really key 
so that we don't miss out on really being one church. And then we're going to share ministries and events. So it's not going to be like West Island women's thing. It's going to be like, no, Church 21 women. And so we continue to connect around training and men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, kids ministry, counseling centers. We're going to start a counseling center. Yeah, it's amazing. Brian Alton is now um, licensed to be a, I have to be careful of the words, What? kind of like a counselor, right? Like he can do this. And, and so we're starting this. It's quite amazing. Um, and this could just be a vision that keeps going beyond 2021, right? My hope is that Montreal will be saturated in the coming years with different locations of Church 21 and beyond just Church 21. But what if the Lord brings revival? What if the Lord brings revival? We could see so many followers of Jesus. If this, if this train is coming, you don't understand how messy it's going to be, but you don't understand the power that's going to be available to us to be able to minister. It's not going to be out of your current capacity. God's going to grow your capacity to be able to minister well. And that might be why it hasn't come yet. Because God is saying, I want to keep growing you. I want you to be ready. I want, I want to put you through those Joseph years so that you're actually able to be ready when the train arrives. What's your role in this? I'm going to finish this. You can start sending in your questions now on the church21online.church platform. I'll be quick about this. Number one, pray. Seems obvious, but um, the more I talk to Christians, the less I think Christians pray. It's really weird. Um, So be praying. Would your kingdom come in Montreal as it is in heaven? Would you pray intercessory prayers like Trenton just shared to break the delay and difficulty of the arrival of the train? Would you be praying for your own soul? Like, Lord, if there is remodeling that you want to do inside of my heart, would you do it? I'm open to it. Would you consider that the Lord might be calling you into this, that that train is full of oil for you to be anointed, to be able to minister, and to be an effective minister of the gospel in your work and family and relationships? We're calling you individually and as a family into this. Right? This isn't about Dwight's thing or Trenton's dream or our oil truck. This is about you and the Spirit of God on work, at work together here in the city. We're entering into what could increase the kingdom significantly. Don't miss this. Don't, don't be like, oh, but I love the theater. The, the chairs rock back and forth. Yeah, they're noisy. They're breaking. It's annoying as a preacher. You eat Tim Horton's bags. Why have you not figured out that it's distracting when you're eating Tim Horton's bags in the theater? <laughs> My goodness, but I'm going to stay on point now, okay? We're entering into what could increase the kingdom significantly in reach and in care, that the anointing might be to heal you. You're like, I haven't been able to be effective because I've been stuck inside of my house, sick for so long, and maybe God is going to heal you to be able to bring you out on his mission. I don't know. I don't know what this train holds, but I want it to come. We've been praying for so many of you by name for this morning. Will you commit yourself to the Lord? Will you commit yourself to him? Will you commit your time, talent, and treasure to get on with forging followers of Jesus around you? And would you be a part of of your local gathering as soon as we are able? So I'm going to pray because we're going to respond now. um, And then we're going to come up and we're going to do some some Q&A. Because I know there's a lot. For some of you, it's a lot. For me, I'm like, whoa, you know, this is like third trimester of carrying this baby, right? I've never carried a baby. I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like, all right? 
I'm feeling hate on that right now. But, um, but giving birth to vision is something, something similar. Uh, I feel, no, it's not at all. But the idea that this is really hard. This could be hard, and yet it's not supposed to feel hard. It's supposed to feel like, man, this is what the Lord is actually doing. Um, so we want to pray for you. So here's how we're going to respond. Number one, uh, giving. What's amazing is that our budget for downtown, when we met in the theater, is not changing as we meet these five different locations. We can do it for exactly the same amount of money. But it comes through the giving of God's people. So if you're part of Church 21, you have an opportunity to give uh, right now. And I would just encourage you to set up regular giving. We're forgetful people, aren't we? And so um, our giving is to be regular and sacrificial and joyful. And so set up regular giving so that um, we can, can keep funding what God is doing in this city. Um, and then uh, and let's just pray. That's how we'll respond. We'll respond with singing after the, the Q&A part. But let me pray for us. And uh, Jordan and Brian, you, can, you guys can come up whenever. Uh, Lord, we pray for revival in the city. We pray that you would rescue people, that people would come to know you, that they would turn uh, from darkness and turn toward you. I pray for the church now that you would remove any obstacles to what you want to have happen. And I don't mean removing people. I mean removing things in our hearts, that you would be removing things that get in the way from us actually enjoying you and being on your mission. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring this train, help it to cross over the river, bring anointing, um, and allow for Montreal to become the most reached city in the world. And when, when we look back on it, it's not going to be because of Church 21. It's going to be because of, of you, Jesus. This isn't a vision for Church 21 to grow and be better and greater. It's a vision for you and your glory to be seen by people in such a way that they're delighting in that. And so we, we love you. Would, you. would you help us to, uh, to receive this information well? Would you give us strategy and wisdom as to how we, we work this out specifically in each one of the locations? And uh, we're so thankful that you're out ahead of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so give me two seconds to just change the setup here. Also, if we have no questions, um, I, yeah, I feel like Jordan has questions. <laughs> Great question. Uh, what does breaking into locations have to do with the dream? This is really great. So I didn't put this into uh, my sermon because I didn't think it was uh, necessary to complicate things, but this is helpful. So as I was running one morning, uh, after Trenton had the dream, uh, I had a application point for the dream. And those people who came uh, to bring their jars around me, uh, I saw as the faces of the people who were currently leading. So I saw uh, Jeff, I saw Trenton, I saw Brian, I saw Jordan, I saw Mike Gockley, I saw Andrew Fulford, I saw, I saw Brian Alton. And I don't remember if that was it, but I saw these, these people around me. And I'm like, oh, you're all in different locations. We've been restricted by the government uh, to meet, you know, in groups of 25. So it's like, why don't we consider, like, doing this and, like, practicing this and seeing if, how this actually works? So that was, that was how uh, breaking into locations really connects to the dream. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll maybe just add to that, that the, the timing of the dream um, was also significant in that Trenton dreamed it the night that the government announced its code red lockdown. Um, and so it seemed as if, 
you know, everything that we were hearing, you know, on the ground is, you know, people living on planet Earth and just, you know, we see what we see, we hear what we hear, is these government restrictions. Um, and yet at the same time, God, I felt like in the air, was giving us a vision uh, that was hopeful for the future that said, you know, you only see all this restriction on the ground, groups of 25, how are we possibly going to meet in the theater? And then that shut, and then God in the air is like, I have a plan for you. I have a vision. Um, bring your oil. Bring what you have. And with the Spirit of God, you are sufficient uh, in your gifting, in your calling, um, to be a contributor to what I want to do in this city. So that was an encouragement for me, but it was also an encouragement in recognition that in a theater environment, um, the large environment that we had, it was good, but on a given Sunday morning, we're, we're, having, we're hearing uh, and using the gifts of five to ten people in the church, whereas when we're able to break it out in these smaller locations, um, which we feel is the application of, of, of what this dream is, we're, we're, we're seeing and hearing, and the gifts of so many more people are being utilized. Their oil is being brought forward. Um, and so that was another way we took that. Yep. All right, next question is, what can be shared about a plan to develop leadership to help with the various needs of each local gathering, like kids, worship, youth, young adults, et cetera? Um, Trenton and I just sat uh, together this week to finalize like ministry uh, roles for each one of those at each one of the locations. Um, so there's going to be a period of identifying who these people are, and probably they're already doing this type of thing, or uh, the different location uh, pastors uh, know that already. And now it's actually like discipling them into uh, the, the role and the job description that, that goes along with it. And there is some training that goes along with that. And we're just trying to figure out how we do that. Do we do it regionally? Some of it regionally. Do we do it all locally? Because we really understand that this is too much for one location leader or even two location leaders to take on themselves. So we're trying to, since we have a really strong, good regional team, um, if we can, um, however we can bolster those, uh, those locations, uh, we want to do that. There's a recognition also that not every location is in the same place developmentally uh, and that there are very different needs in the West Island where, you know, if you're on the preaching circuit and you go out there and you're like, there's so many children rolling on the floor right now. I don't even I don't even know how to process um, and and downtown. It's not the same. So there's different needs in different locations. And then as locations grow, uh, they'll start to look more and more uh, alike as they as they have those things taking place. And we would ask you in that, I mean, you, you listed off a bunch of stuff. I can't even remember everything there. But to, like, bear with us and be patient as we develop some of this more, these more structural components. We have been using uh, the current lockdowns we're in to be planning for the future. But there still is a, a process in, in, you know, implementing that. Um, and you might be one of those people uh, that we would call to serve in this way. So prayerfully consider that um, as a way that you can contribute uh, your gifts your time, your talent, and your treasure to, to seeing God's work carried out uh, in each one of these locations. Yeah, that's good. Uh, question, will it look like the time we did this during the months of November, December, where we broke up into our, our little gatherings? Um, yes, yes, it will, but hopefully not for long, um, because hopefully some of the restrictions will get, will get lifted. Um, and we weren't really able to sing um, before, so hopefully at some point we'll be able to sing. Um, and we're doing Gifts of the Spirit, a series on Gifts of the Spirit now, uh, really to prepare for um, that post-preaching moment 
to actually be able to utilize more of the gifts of the Spirit um, during our gathering to minister to one another and to appropriately do that biblically and also to, um, to have those, those gifts um, be, be moving throughout the week as well. But we want to keep that, that, um, the preaching and then response time, and we want to equip people better to be able to minister to one another, not just have like the music person ministering to them, but like if you have the gift of, uh, if you have a prophetic word, um, well, we w- man, we want to hear that. We want to test that. We want to help you understand how to, how to move in that. You have a gift of encouragement. Well, and we want to put you to, with people that need encouragement. Like we want to actually minister to one another when we're together because as much as we want to be the church all throughout the week, sometimes Sunday is like, well, that's our really... That's our major portion, especially if we're working like 80, 90-hour weeks. Um, so we want to make sure that you're actually able to, to minister uh, to one another during that time. There's also a sense of uh, limitation that we experience during that time in terms of how many people we're allowed to gather. I know for some of you, you would literally go to register and it'd be full and you wouldn't be able to go. Um, or in cases where, like in the South Shore, where we had two services, and we're like, okay, everybody has to leave. And uh, because there's another group coming in, we have to distance you and wipe everything down. Mm. Uh, and that made some of that not fun. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of joy uh, around being able to gather and sing and share communion and hug and, and, it, and for it to be able to grow. And you don't have to worry about registering or someone else doesn't get to go if you register, all that awkwardness. It's good. All right. Um, Will we continue to see pastors from other locations come preach in different locations? The answer to that is yes. So we have planned out sort of a a preaching circuit um, in which you will not be hearing the same voice every week. Likely, if the preacher is from your location, you will always hear that preacher when it's his turn to be on the rotation, if that makes sense. Um, But I I actually think there's going to be a, a, a bet like one of the benefits that comes from this is that we are able to, to raise up and train up uh, new voices by them having opportunities in smaller contexts to, to work out their gifting. Um, and so there will be more voices. You just give it some time. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, if this preaching a sermon is not just like, well, like I prayed about this for a few minutes and now I'm ready to stand up and, and go. Preaching a sermon, especially when you start, takes a lot of time. Um, so just to give you an idea, to preach a sermon uh, takes about eight hours for me. Um, some guys on our team, when they first start, it takes like 15 to 20 hours. So you imagine like your location, one of your location pastors needing to prepare a sermon three out of four weeks when they're also supposed to care for you and work a job and lead their city group and their family and like all the things that we want to put on people in spiritual leadership. I, I just want to say as well, give people a break as well. Like during this time, like they're, they're trying their best to lead you and the church might not be everything that you ever hoped that it was. But right now, I don't know that any church is everything you hoped it was. Like mm-hmm. there's this little disease thing happening in the world and it's like mixing some things up. So just saying like, uh, that, that we should be we should be gracious because some of these some of these people really are preparing sermons in their spare time. I think of Brian Alton. Brian Alton works full time at FedEx and does counseling as well on the side, and then he's also preaching like once every six weeks, I think. So it's like, man, thank you so much for putting that time in. So for some of us who are more full time 
with Church 21, uh, we want to do some. We want to carry some of that work uh, for people, so that the locations can get built out, people can be cared for, and they don't really need to think about the preaching piece because that does take a, a significant amount of time. Um, this is just an encouragement that I'll share um, that was sent privately. I won't say from who uh, unless they want to make it known. But um, they said, "Hey Trenton." Um, just, I have all Trenton's messages forwarded to me, by the way. That's very controlling. No, just joking. He sent it to me. Um, hey, Trenton, just a little thing related to this morning's message. I felt moved this morning to pray for fresh anointing and fresh oil from the Spirit. So it's cool to see that confirmed here in the service. So that's good. Um, another question. Do you have con- any concrete ideas about how to reach out to non-believers at this point with mostly online services? That's a tricky one, Um, but the initiative that Dwight has been taking with the mental health, um, taking, you know, thinking about what are the questions people are asking these, where where are the needs? Um, They're primarily like emotional, psychosocial needs, if you would have it, over material needs for the majority of the people that we are ministering to. Um, And so thinking through that and how we can reach people in those kinds of ways, we plan to continue that, I believe, um, to maybe make that part of our regular uh, rhythm in terms of something that we're offering. Um, we've also done Alpha online, uh, and I would like to do that again if we were able to have leadership willing to do that with us. So if that if you're interested in leading that, please send me uh, send me a message or an, or an email, um, as well as in like sharing. So our social media, we've like really up that. It's it's much cleaner, classier thanks to to Cindy, and I know Jess has helped with that as well. Um, and so you can be sharing that. It's actually a very uh, easy way that you can be. Um, connecting people with with Jesus, if you think about Mm -hmm. it. Um, We have people in our church who have become Christians because they saw something on social media, um, and that started them on a journey of faith. Mm. So believe it or not, the Spirit can use that. Uh, Yeah, this might be just a relational time, honestly. Um, Have have food delivered to you and then deliver it to your neighbors. Um, Take your dog out like we're learning this whole dog thing which is if you if you have a puppy and you think that puppy is going to stay a puppy it's not going to um but like our neighbors have dogs we have a dog and that's putting us with our neighbors all the time because those dogs like and if and if you want to get their eating and pooping schedules the same like figure it out you know <laughs> but like be out there like and you hear what's going on like how are you doing you know, how are you really doing like how are you doing mentally like i'm not doing very well today like be open and uh, humble about where you're doing or how you're doing, and uh, people people will respond to that. Um, if they know that you actually want to share real things, they're very open to share real things as well. Often, um, let me let me find my place in this list. When will we continue? Uh, no, already did that one. Uh, already did that one. Um, when do you intend on starting gatherings in person in these five locations? I mean, <laughs> like as, as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We really okay. So I know we 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 can have ten people together. Um, it it's a lot. I don't want to. I don't make this sound bad, but like it's a lot of work to get together uh, with with ten people, and so we've just kind of said, hey, we'll have twenty five, 
you know, be our limit. And we were doing seven or eight services when we had 25 people, mm -hmm. right? And that was, that was just a lot. And I'm, I'm completely game to do that again. We all are, right? It's like, it's nice coming home Sunday evening and being like, I preached my guts out for, you know, all day. Mm -hmm. Like, it was amazing. Uh, I had a nap in between. But, um, but we, we get to see the work of God so, so marvelously. And it's also very awkward to invite people into, like, a group of 10 people during COVID. So the 25 seems like a good sociological barrier, or not barrier, but like, uh, like it's a door where it's like, okay, I'm not just here with like a family, right? It's like the long family and me, and like That's we right. max out our we max out capacity. So, um, so yeah, as soon as we can bump up to 25, you could pray with us. We're praying for 50 or 250, yeah, yeah. right? So that we'd be able to um, we'd be able to launch. Uh, soon and like it's been said we're we are ready to go um, So if the government changed the restrictions this week, we'd be ready to go for the following week. Yeah Yep um, This is now like a thread it's hard to uh, Other than the counseling that Brian Alton is doing can you give us some other examples of how people are being cared for throughout the different gatherings? Yes so downtown, I can, I mean, we don't need to make this like each location, but I know downtown, um, Evan, uh, who's joined our team, Evan Walker, uh, is contacting every single person individually uh, every week and asking how they're doing and then like, you know, is there anything we can do for you? Uh, like, there's some people who are living alone that I know that he went on a walk with, like, like we we want to be we want to be present. We have um, Brian Alton uh, does our um, does a specific counseling uh, for our team. But each one of the pastors has people that we're meeting with to do normal pastoral counseling things all the time. So we don't we don't advertise like oh yeah so and so is going through this this week. So like I met with them right because that would be very strange. But normal pastoral things are happening all the time. And I love our church because I hear. I feel like so many people in the church feel like, oh, this isn't my problem to push up to a pastor somewhere. Uh, this is me to deal with. And people usually call me and say, my friend is going through this. How do I help them? Mm. So that's really Ephesians 4 type of ministry is that there's, there's a group of leaders who are here to equip you do the work of ministry. Um, but I would just say it's been a tragic year. Like we've had lots and lots of people going through lots and lots of stuff. And I know Jordan and myself have met with lots and lots of you um, to hear about those. And lots of people have also walked away from Jesus right now. And that's tragic. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the things. You guys want to add anything? No, that's, that's good. Okay. Um, also, just a reminder around that, that local, local pastors are pursuing the care of their local, um, their local congregation. Uh, so if you're part of West Island, I mean, we're thinking about like Jeff Wright and Brian Alton being the one that you're primarily um, being cared for uh, by. And that's just the reality that, you know, they're there, God has placed them there. And it doesn't mean that Jordan couldn't talk to you or I couldn't talk to you, Brian couldn't talk to you or Trenton couldn't talk to you. But the reality is that they are like, that's their calling is really to be with, with you. Uh, will the same message be shared at the different locations each week? Yes and no. <laughs> so it'll be part of the same series, 
um, with the same uh, sort of summary given and the same passage that will be exposited. However, uh, for each Sunday, given the current times that we're meeting, many of them are in the afternoon. And so for a given Sunday, if we're in groups of 25, it requires three preachers uh, to prepare prepare for each Sunday. So no preacher is going to say exactly the same thing, but they'll be preaching the same text uh, with some of the main uh, with some of the main points given. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how we do the podcast, we've just been recording the one that's uh, being preached downtown because we have the setup here uh, ready to go for that, and that was just the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, if the restrictions lift higher so we can have, you know, groups of 50 or so in our locations, we reduce the number of services, and we might be able to arrange the times to get that down to two instead of three. Uh, preachers, but that's mm-hmm. that's to be, you know, seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, what part do you see youth playing in this? Well, right now uh, we are trying to have some participation in the sort of overall Montreal citywide youth network that um, Dwight helped spawn in partnership with. I think 10 other churches in the city. Um, And it's really downtown. It's kind of like a downtown thing. And yet many of our youth don't live downtown and live West Island, South Shore. So what we've been doing, it's kind of awkward to be like the church that like helps initiate this network. And yet we didn't have a youth group of our own to contribute. And uh, there had been some Zoom meetings. And then we started doing some local meetings at uh, the Verdun uh, church location once a month and now we're back on Zoom until restrictions adjust. Uh, but we are, we're sort of in this genesis phase of like laying like a groundwork of what youth ministry looks like in our church um, and try to encourage the, the youth to recognize like you are the founding fathers and mothers of this thing. And uh, in the history of, of Church 21 youth ministry is gonna be rooted in your experience. And so we're trying to build a, a good foundation for what's to come, but it's very, uh, embryonic uh, at this at this point which i is sort of similar to the way that our men's ministry and our women's ministry are a lot of the regional ministries are still sort of embryonic we've had a few goes at it um and uh but with this new uh, arrangement we're going to be it's going to be so much more important than ever uh, to be able to gather uh in these different areas uh these different types of ministries so uh yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. There might there might be a question behind that that yeah. I can speak to, which is, you know, when you when you attend a larger church congregation, we're not a mega church, we're not even close to that, but there is that sense of you like you there's more services available to you. Right. There's better, you know, more, you know, more experienced preachers. There's you know bigger youth ministries with more people involved and marriage and all of these sorts of things come along with that. And what we're trying to strike the balance here is between the sort of uh, the, the benefits or the the ministries that would come along with having a larger church congregation, like had we kept meeting downtown, we would have been able to, to have these sorts of things. We want to keep those sorts of things, mm-hmm. but do them on a regional level. So he's mentioned like the training of, of new leaders, training of new pastors and pastoral apprentices through Sembeck. Um, you've mentioned the men's ministry, the women's ministry, uh, the youth stuff that we do. Um, these are all examples of things that we want to keep in common. So has the so to have the benefits of what you get in a larger congregation where you have more resources, but do it in a localized way. So when you have those large congregations, you're not really in your neighborhood the way that you want to be in your neighborhood, where you can be inviting your neighbors to walk down the street to, 
you know, to, to be worshiping together. Um, and so it's like the benefits of being known in a small community, but also at the same time, the benefits that you would get when you have a larger group of Christians sharing and pooling their resources together for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's the balance we're trying to strike in that. And we do want to seek to, we don't want to pull the youth out of Sunday morning into like a separate youth church. Uh, and the danger of that is having youth be in something that they grow out of rather than be participatory in a grown-up thing that they grow into. And as we've talked about, there's going to be enormous uh, leadership and serving opportunities in these locations, things that youth are eminently capable of doing. And I know from uh, many years of experience in youth ministry that youth radically, their, their, their position and their buy-in radically transforms when you give them grown-up things to do, uh, which, they're, which they're able to do. Uh, so I think that's part of our desire Sunday morning is to have that. And then it's like something specific for the youth, a uh, different part of the week. Mm-hmm. I would say that our youth are experiencing, some of our youth are experiencing real revival mm-hmm. as well. Like there are two girls that I know about who are, who are hearing very clearly from the spirit of God. And it's like the word of God has come alive for them and they're, they're teenagers. And so we don't want to, we don't want to despise that. Oh, it was just an adult thing, you know, like, prophetic words are for adults it's like no no no. like who who is the spirit working through in the church and we want to we want to leverage um those gifts we want to we want to hear we want to learn uh from them so um it's exciting when one of the things that joel uh sees in or gives in his prophecy that peter points out in a sermon in acts 2 is that um is that the youth are going to prophesy right when the spirit gets dumped out the, the youth are going to prophesy. Uh, they're going to dream dreams. And, and old men and women are going to dream dreams as well. Like people are like, oh, time to retire. It's like, nope, revival. <laughs> Sorry, time to mentor. Um, so, so these are exciting times. And I'm really, really uh, encouraged by that. The last question that we'll, we'll do, um, this has been long, I know. Um, it's been much longer, but we're removing the Zoom call uh, for today. So this has replaced the Zoom call. And, um, and we really wanted to do this in person. I want to say that, that we intended for this to be one of those things that the three of us were going to preach in the different locations. And we were all going to split it up and, and go for it because we wanted to see your faces. Uh, we wanted to see your reaction, your responses, to be able to answer questions, even like in the moment, like saying this, we're not going back to the theater. And then it's like, oh, and you're like, okay, well, let's address that. You know, let's, let's talk about that right now. So... Um, this was not, this was why we were waiting so long. We were ready for the sermon January 10th. We've been, this was an easy week of preparation for me because it was done way, 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 way many weeks ago. So um, anyway, this is the last question. Who do we talk to about getting involved in discipleship and helping out in leadership in these locations? That's a good question. Um, so feel free to reach out to me wherever you're at. Um, but more and more in terms of raising up uh, a leadership team in each one of the locations, it will be your location leaders. So we should name those location leaders so you know who to talk to. <laughs> um, in, the, in the West Island, as was mentioned, there's Jeff Wright um, and his wife and uh, Brian Alton and Judy. Um, in NDG, it would be Sandra and myself. And we're working with three apprentices, Alan Christopher Weeks and uh, Jonathan Platt. And then downtown, well, Dwight, you can speak for yourself. And you can speak for yourself. Downtown, uh, downtown. Myself, my wife, Jess, Evan, um, and Kristen had just moved here. Um, Michelle and Catherine um, are living in uh, Westmount and are part of the downtown. And 
Heather and Lucas are leading a downtown city group, and uh, Jordan Vanderlinden is is helping to lead that as well. So collectively, uh, we're we're trying to figure out what downtown downtown is. Uh, where else? South Shore. Yeah, uh, Trenton and Lorianne Walker, uh, myself and uh, my wife Severine and uh, uh, Dave and Sheila Long are also providing leadership. And then in uh, Verdun, uh, last but definitely not least, we have Mike and Sherry Gockley. Mike, who is one of our elders, and um, who's uh, on sabbatical. Who is on sabbatical right now? Mm -hmm. So it'd be best if you reached out to Andrew and Jenny, um, because they're also in leadership at that location. Or you. Mm -hmm. And myself, yes, as well, myself. I'll be involved uh, with Verdun as well as NDG, mm -hmm. sharing the responsibilities between those two locations. Thanks for the questions. I mean, I know that you probably have more questions. I know that if we were in person, you'd probably have more. But I, I just want to say that, like, this is, this is very exciting in terms of, like, we, like, we broke the news. Like, this is what we're doing. And we really see God's hand behind this. And, uh, and... Be expectant, you know, uh, be expectant for a few things, for discouragement to come. Mm. Um, you will be discouraged at some level for the enemy uh, to be there, lying to you about certain things. And I would say that if you, if you think something about someone and you, um, and you haven't heard that specifically from them, uh, that you should follow up with them. Be like, is this true? Do you think this is because uh, the enemy loves to divide churches around these types of things. I mean, color of carpet, if we own a building, divides churches, right? Like, oh, we moved our, our service from 10 to 10, 15. It's like, I'm out of here. You know, like these things divide churches. Um, we're like, well, we're going to now meet in five different locations, and we're not going back to the thing that we used to do. Um, but the overall response we've gotten from the 50 to 60 leaders is like, this, this seems amazing. Like, mm -hmm. this is what we need to do. And so there's real sacrifice involved uh, for this. So let me, let me pray for us, and then I'll invite Jenny and uh, Lucas back up. We'll, we'll sing, and then Brian will, will send us out. Jesus, we, we do not want to restructure things for us. We want to do whatever it is that you're doing, and we really think that you're leading us in this way, and so we want to get behind it. We, we want to keep hearing from you. We, we're sure that we don't know the end result yet of what this will all look like. And so would you be filling your people uh, with, with wisdom and with direction and with encouragement, would you help us to know how we're supposed to apply certain things that at this moment are, are quite vague in general? And Jesus, would you, uh, would you take this, this, little, um, this little act of what we think is real obedience to you, and would you bring that, that train of anointing and allow for it to spill out and, and flood our city uh, so that people would look up and see your glory and be delighted and want to know how they can meet you. Um, would you make questions like, how do we reach out to non-believers, uh, ones that are irrelevant in a sense, that um, people are begging to ask, who, who is this God and how do we get to know him? And, um, and we love you. We, we carry this with humility. We, we, wanna, we don't want to presume to say, thus saith the Lord. Um, so we're, we're really weighing this out in front of our church and, and asking for more wisdom and clarity from you. And uh, we really need you. Would you fill Church 21 with your spirit for power? Would you give us each individually opportunities to minister to uh, one another and to others in our city? And we love you and need you. Amen.